My name's Adam Spring, and this is a Remotely Interested podcast, hosted at remotely-interested.com. My guest for this episode is Nicholas Briggs, who is the voice of the Daleks on Doctor Who. He's also an executive producer at Big Finish Productions, and the latter is what I was really sort of attracted to about doing a podcast with Nicholas. Now, you know, arguably, Revelation of the Daleks, Colin Baker, who was somewhat of a mentor to Nick, you know, you could argue in that episode, Davros was turning people into technology, he was turning them into Daleks, so I could have justified this podcast that way. But really, it was the idea of something like Big Finish, which came about in 1996, but in the wilderness years of Doctor Who from 1989 to 2005, it helped keep the cultural memory of Doctor Who alive and aspects of it even fed into uh, some of the Russell T. Davis series of Doctor Who. And we speak a lot about that. For example, Paul McGann, who, you know, mid-90s, came in as the eighth Doctor when they were looking to reboot the series. For whatever reason, the reboot didn't happen. But you were left with a good Doctor and one that didn't necessarily run its course. 2013, YouTube there was a release of Night of the Doctor which saw Paul McGann on screen again but this time you were presented with a very seasoned Doctor so what happened in between? Well, what happened in between was Big Finish Productions there were so many audio plays done by Paul McGann that when you've seen him again on YouTube on the link that is included below this, the SoundCloud profile for this podcast, you see a fully formed character, and Big Finish is very much at the heart of that so all of that sort of stuff was very interesting to me from a content point of view but also from how people engage with something they love now. And, you know, I think something like Doctor Who and also where we were at, um, we were at Timegate, which is now called Who Lanta. It was a convention that was run by people who not only loved things like Doctor Who, but also as well, they just, they everything about that conference, they did, they just got it right. And, you know, an example I'll give you, for for example, is in the disabled seats, there was, there was a little piece of what we call in the UK A4 paper, and on that was basically a Dalek with a wheel on it, so it looked as if it had a wheelchair, and then there was writing on that wheel in Gallifreyan, and that was, we are not broken. Little touches like that, as well as just the entire spirit of that event as well. You know, for example, everybody talks about their doctor. Um, for me, my doctor was Sylvester McCoy. But there was also my Davros there as well, in a way, because uh, Terry Malloy was there as well. So every aspect of the conference was very well thought out. And yeah, it was just it was just good overall. It was just really, really good. Anyway, rate, subscribe, like, review, do all of that good stuff with this podcast. And I will leave you with Nick for now. But as always, I will be around at the end, so listen to what I have to say, and I'll be talking about things like links and stuff like that as well, so it's worth holding on for the end. Anyway, thank Nick for his time, very gracious interviewee, and very skilled on the mic. So, until later, I'll leave you with Nick. Um, well, I, in case you didn't know, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm the voice of the Daleks, and I'm also a co-executive producer at Big Finish Productions. Now... For the latter, I find this really interesting, and we'll come on more to the Daleks a little bit later on, is... How did Big Finish come about? Whoa. Um, well, Big Finish, I go war because that's an old, old story. Um, a long, long time ago, I was involved with a bunch of Doctor Who fans and we did Doctor Who audios for fun. And I played the Doctor and I wrote a lot of scripts, did directing, did some Dalek voices, uh, learnt all about sound effects and music, did lots of editing, all that. And then, uh, and Gary Russell was involved. Uh, I remember that name. 
uh, and uh, then we kind of grew up a bit and felt, oh, we have to do proper jobs and earn money because this is ridiculous. It's taking up all our time. And But we did say, Gary and I, um, we'd love to do this for real and get a, a license from the BBC and do it with the, the proper Doctor Who's, not me. Um, and eventually, one day, that the opportunity for that came about really through Gary Russell's contacts at BBC Worldwide. I think it was called BBC Worldwide then and not BBC Enterprises, because uh, BBC Enterprises was the old name for it. Um, and uh, Gary had known Jason since they were teenage kids, and he, and he knew Jason was a successful businessman. And he, and he knew that Jason was into Doctor Who. And he said, Jason, how about, you know, you, your company or have you got a company or can you create a company to do this and do this with the BBC? And uh, Jason and Gary, after one false start, just after the 1996 TV movie, uh, eventually got the license, cutting the story a bit short, eventually got the license for Doctor Who. And uh, I think one of the first people... Gary, Doctor Who audios, I should say. Uh, one of the first people that Gary told was me. I lived five minutes around, five minutes walk around the road from him in southeast London, and he uh, popped over and, and sort of nonchalantly mentioned, "Oh, by the way, uh, you know that thing we spoke about all those years ago? Yeah, well, we've got a license to do it." And I said, "Oh, can I be involved?" And went, "Yes, yes, I think you can." You know, and you know, and I ended up writing, directing, sound designing, doing the music for the first one, and um, I've worked, you know, on and off with Big Finish ever since up until about 10 years ago when I became uh, co-executive producer with Jason Hay Henry and um, it was already it had already taken over my life but, it, but it's well and truly taken over my life now lots of writing and directing not so much sound design now because it's very time consuming I'd love to do it but just don't have the time to do it I do quite a bit of music though somehow wow. seem to be able to do that a bit quicker you know for other ranges like survivors and the omega factor and countermeasures you know yeah and does that sum it all yeah i think i think it does quite well and also as well i think an interesting thing because we're at timegate in atlanta at the moment is i didn't realize i mean i knew about you obviously in your dalek capacity mm. but i hadn't realized just how much of a doctor who fan you were personally oh i mean a gigantic Doctor Who fan. Yeah, and yeah. It, it kind of seems like, I don't know, a big inspiration to where you are now, mm. you know, and obviously clearly a big part of your professional life as well. So, I mean, I do do a few other things now yeah. and again, but uh, but mainly it's Big Finish and yeah. Doctor Who. And, and also as well, it seems in the, the wilderness years, shall we say, you know, from 89 up to around about 2005, what you guys were doing kind of bridged a gap in that universe. I think it did for for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were the books around as well, and Doctor Who magazine and the comic strip. But, you know, we were doing dramatic Doctor Who with the actors who were in it originally. So, yeah, it, it had a bit more of a special status, I would say, in a biased sort of way. <laughs> Some people you might talk to and say, oh, for me, it was the books, it was the books. But, uh, yeah, we, we did bridge a gap, really, yeah. And how do you think sort of what you do in terms of content has evolved because in a way it's never been a better time for audio content in the sense that everything is just so you know decentralized now in terms of distribution has it been interesting to sort of like see that arc of sort of consumption and how things have changed over a period of time do you have any observations at all or not so much i don't know i can't i don't quite understand the question have another go ask me again okay so basically you know in that period of time that you've been doing stuff we've gone yeah. from things like say vhs to DVT, to now streaming, and obviously streaming is now, yeah. it's not a physical thing. 
It's mm. a metaphysical thing. Mm. And I guess, you know, audio and stuff like that is probably the best medium for it. I mean, if you look at the thing of growth like podcasts and consumption of stuff like that, it's because you can do it on the go anywhere now. I see what you're that's saying. That's yeah, the yeah. sort of stuff that I'm yeah. sort of talking about. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, who knows? I think that streaming, it seems that streaming is going to become more the norm for delivery mm. of both uh, video and audio to consumers. Mm. Although, as... Uh, download speeds become faster and faster and faster and faster and storage space becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and more accessible for people. Maybe downloading and keeping stuff. It's difficult to predict what will happen yeah. in the future. It, just, it might be just as easy as streaming, just to go and a huge file straight onto your device and your device has such storage capacity that it getting full up doesn't really ever become an issue or you keep it in the cloud and all that sort of thing. I don't know. But yeah, it has changed over the years. I mean, when we started doing Big Finish, we were selling cassettes. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's exactly what I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. We were doing CDs as well. And it was actually more expensive to do cassettes than it was to do CDs, bizarrely. And yet the market dictated, advantageously for us, that you charged more for CDs than you did for cassettes. And also with cassettes, you had you were charged for duplication per inch of tape. Wow. So uh, the incentive was always so the the releases of the first few on cassettes because I don't know I think we did about four or five on cassette and then stopped doing it. Um, it certainly, signs of time. The first one, the cassette release is shorter because it was too expensive to have the full version. So the the, the, the cassette release is different to the CD release. One of the things I find interesting in terms of what Big Finish is doing is the Eighth Doctor as a character pretty much grew through Big Finish and the audio side of things. And oh. It's kind of an interesting Doctor, I think, because it's bookend by the film that was obviously a one-off and then the Night of the Doctor. But by the time you get to the Night of the Doctor, because of the Big Finish stuff, the character is seasoned. Mm -hmm. And That's I find true, that very interesting. And I'd like to get your opinion on that. Well, I'd certainly agree with your analysis. And, and Paul McGann himself at this event was saying, you know, he's mostly been on audio and he finds, for him, he thinks that's a huge advantage because he's done so many stories. And uh, we've been able to develop him in so many different ways. Um, it is bizarre, really. I mean, we never thought uh, we would get Paul McGann. That's the bizarre thing. Uh, we thought it would be much more likely that we would get Tom Baker on board. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing, and we can see how, uh, uh, you know, round the wrong way that view was. Um, but um, although Tom, of course, is on board now and absolutely adoring it. So, yeah, it was like a shot out of the blue for me when Jason said, well, you know, Paul McGann, Paul McGann's agents agreed to it. I think when Janet Fielding was his agent, that somehow uh, the messages weren't getting through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, when he when his agents changed, he uh, he was interested in doing it, and um, we thought that he'd maybe do one series and that would be it. But he seems to have embraced it more and more over the years. I remember when he didn't go to conventions, and then he agreed to go to one big convention in Britain. I, was, I want to say it was on the fortieth anniversary. I may have got that wrong. I don't know. And he walked on stage, and you know. Uh, I don't know how, there were 2,000 people in the room or something, and the roar of, and they didn't know he was going to be there, wow. and the roar of surprise and delight 
was uh, tangible, physical. You know, I felt, I felt almost my memory of it is almost that his hair was blown back by it. I'm sure that didn't happen, but you know what I mean. It was such an explosion. But the fact that impact of that memory. Yeah, is, I was yeah. I was standing in the wings at the time and thinking, whoa. And I think from that moment on, I think I think Paul thought, oh, they are interested in me. I think he thought that they wouldn't be interested in him. I know he had a concern that his doctor wasn't counted as a bona fide doctor. He actually said that to me once. That's interesting. Uh, as when they were asking him to do Night of the Doctor, he said, well, they don't really... And I said, I said, mate, they've already shown clips of you in the TV series yeah. when they're, you know... And he went, really, have they? Oh, OK. So, um, yeah, I think Paul has embraced him all, and here he is now. He goes to so many events now and, yeah, yeah. and speaks with, with great passion and, and um, interest about Doctor Who. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but no, I, mean, I don't know if I did the politician fantastic. thing there. Answer no, my no, own question. No, it's fantastic. And I think the thing I found interesting yesterday from what you and Jason were talking about is this idea of a new legacy doctor. Because mm. really, Paul McGann isn't a classic doctor. He's a middle. Is he a middle legacy doctor? Do you know I what I mean? Because well, it's not the classics. It's a transitional thing from one thing to the other, really. I know, but you just know? for classification purposes, you know, yeah. our previous license did incorporate Paul McGann. So... I don't, yeah, I mean, these classifications are for yeah. marketing people, yeah. <laughs> not me. Yeah. And I mean, how did you... Okay, so with the Doctors that appeared on TV, because obviously audio and visual with audio are very different mediums in one respect, and I think audio is very freeing in the sense that you could do a lot more with the imagination. Yes, definitely. Would I would agree. A massive amount of expense if you were yeah, to do it on yeah, TV. What was, what was, say, like, you know, Peter Davison's or Colin Baker's or Sylvester McCoy, my doctor, you know... <laughs> What were their reactions to basically going from TV to audio? Did they have any comments of saying, oh, well, this is very different for a character that I've known for a period of time and stuff like that? Or Do you know, they didn't say anything like that. They just got on with it. Isn't that weird? We That's just we just started and there were no queries about it. They just embraced it immediately, particularly those three, and we're extremely grateful to them. You know, we had them from the beginning. Um, no, isn't that strange? Nobody made comments about it. We were just, I think we were also excited about doing it, really, and just got on with it. And we had lots of fun on that first recording. I think I was very tense. I was making reference to that as a panel today. That yeah. I couldn't eat lunch because I was so tense. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I think it might be due to our attitude because our because we were so familiar with audio because of our previous experience. It just seemed normal and the right thing to be doing. So there was never any of that feeling. And I've never thought about this before. There was never any feeling like, oh, this is odd. This is new. This is different. Oh, what are we yeah. doing? How do we do Doctor Who in an audio way? Oh, that's strange. We just knew. We just thought we knew. And luckily, we were right. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we knew how to do it. And, and people liked it. And... Yeah, and the doctors were fine about coming back yeah. and doing it over and over again because they could have just said, could they not? They could have just said, well, okay, I've done well. That, that'll do, guys. I'm yeah, not coming yeah. back to mess around with Doctor Who. But they've, they've always embraced it. And Peter Davison in particular has said that he, um, ha has, he does it for the fans. When I took over as exec producer, I did an interview with him behind the scenes interview and, and said, you know, why is it you, you come back and do this? And he said, he said, it's for the fans. He said, you know, because uh, it's, I'm putting something back for them and all the support they've given me over the years. Interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I think, they, I think to some extent they all feel like that. I know Tom Baker would certainly say that. He's very um, uh, preoccupied with the, the adoration that he gets and, and how, how much he loves that. Yeah. 
That's awesome. That's awesome to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all speak with great affection about fans. They really do. They're none of them are going, mm, oh, blah, blah, blah. such a shame all, all these people like Doctor Who and want my autograph. They love it. Yeah. They don't think that at all. So what about you then as somebody that clearly you bridge many aspects of the Hooniverse, so to speak, in terms of being part of the current side of things and obviously having gone way back with your interest in it. What's your favourite sort of element to do in terms of you as maybe a writer writing for audio or the TV side of things? What's your favourite medium in terms of Doctor Who for you personally? Um, Well, at the very core of me is a desire to be happy I'm, I was saying the other day to someone uh, and they were quite surprised at this but it is true that I'm not ambitious I'm, I'm only ambitious for one thing and that's to be happy and I suppose that is a big ambition um, but I'm not ambitious to be the most important person or the best person at this I'm just I want to make sure that I continue to be able to do the things that I love to do that stimulate my mind and make make me very happy so I, part of enjoying myself is not being stuck doing one thing. Yeah. I want to do a variety of things. I regard the variety of things I do as kind of um, antidotes to each other. Okay. Because if you're, I mean, I love to write. Yeah, yeah. And were I not permitted to write, that would be a huge hardship for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to write all the time. Uh, and what enables me to write as much as I do is that I can st- spend a morning writing a sc- part of a script and then spend the afternoon doing uh, the music for countermeasures or survivors. That's what I've been doing recently. And throughout the entire day, of course, I'm getting emails about all the important issues with Big Finish, you know, developing a new website. How are we doing with the Android app? Uh, This director's got a query about this. Here's a script to read about that. So-and-so's fallen out with so-and-so. You know, all these kind of things. I'm the unofficial human resources department of Big Finish. I tend to have to deal with all those issues as well. Uh, You see what I mean? It's variety, and that's... I love that. It's frustrating as well, because you think, oh, I must get on with this one thing, and I've got these ten other things to do. But actually, I prefer it with variety. I want the the contradictory um, impulses within me. I want security and happiness... But I don't want to be bogged down doing just one thing. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want to get bored. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to do a variety of things. I think that anybody that has a creative streak, they're very much like that. You need to follow that creative force wherever yeah. it needs to go. And I do yeah. go off and do other things. You know, I, I wrote uh, an adaptation of Jekyll and Hyde for the stage uh, last year. I wrote it, and we. I put it on. Well, I was hired to put it on in the Theatre Royal Nottingham. Oh, wow. uh, and then it, uh, and then another producer's picked it up for a tour, which is now out touring around the UK, all the, the number one and number two venues. And, uh, I, you know, so I took two weeks away from Big Finish to direct that. Well, three, really, because of the whole first performance week and all that nonsense. But um, when I say I took time off from Big Finish, I spent the entire time still answering emails, still dealing with all those things I reeled off just now, and even doing a little bit of music in the evening <laughs> for wow. survivors, you know. So I was just, uh, it never stops. But I do, I do go off and do other things from time to time. And there's always the possibility, remote though it is, that my agent will call me and I'll have got a TV job or a voiceover job doing something else, you know. So. Oh, well, fantastic. And one thing I noticed as well, you seem like a little bit of, uh, somewhat of an historian of the technical side of Doctor Who, particularly on the Dalek end. <laughs> well, only because it's, you're just fascinated by it all. You know, I'm not, um, I don't have much technical knowledge, I think, but uh, 
you know, I've, I've said many times that when I was a kid, I was bizarrely quite preoccupied with the voice of the Daleks. I mean, I really was. I kept trying to impersonate it and it became very important to me to find a way of doing it properly. And for years and years I didn't because I didn't understand what a ring modulator was and all that. Um, you know, so when I found, found out about it, you know, <laughs> I got commissioned to write an article for Doctor Who magazine about it, which is one of the things that got me the job as the Dalek voice because Russell T. Davis had heard me do the Dalek voice in Big Finish because oh, wow. he was a regular listener wow, to Big okay. Finish. Yeah. But then he read this article, which basically where I revealed I not only knew how to do the voice technically, I had the means with which to do it technically. Yeah. Uh, and he knew that, you know, things had changed at the BBC since the old days. There's no radiophonic workshop department. He couldn't just get his line producer to phone the radiophonic workshop and say, we need, so, we need the Dalek voice sorted out. There's no, no one at the BBC knows that sort of thing anymore. So, you know, he hired an actor who knew how to do it, who could come along and talk, this is me I'm talking about, who could come along and talk to the sound recordist on set and say, look, I need to plug this in here, do this, you need to give me this and that. And then, uh, and hey, presto, there's your Dalek voice, you know. So, uh, yeah, that interest led to the thing that's changed my life, which is being the voice of the Daleks. Yeah. That has completely changed my life, yeah. you know. Um, it's not the best paid job in the world, but it is a job on television, and so you get royalties, residuals and things. So, you know, it... it and it's given me, I suppose, something we're, we're all looking at, however bizarre. Uh, it's something I can tell people that I do. It puts, yeah, know, yeah. It puts me in a little pigeonhole that I'm quite comfortable being in. You know, Oh, I'm the voice of the Daleks, by the way. And most people are quite happy about that. There's some beautiful moments where I go crashing down to earth, where uh, uh, my wife used to work for um, the United Nations, and she, she introduced me to some of her old colleagues who, you know, and these people do proper, really important work around the world, mm -hmm. saving people's yeah, lives, yeah. making a huge difference. And when she said, when they asked me what I did, and Steph said, oh, you asked my wife, you, you, you tell them. And I told them I was the voice of the Daleks, and it's like I had said, I do flower arranging. You know what I mean? They were... It, it seemed really? it clearly seemed entirely trivial. They weren't rude about it. They just no, went. No, no. They, they didn't go. Oh wow! I will do it now. And all the things that people normally say. They just went. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Know, or or yeah. talking to someone who's been brought up in Ireland where they don't have Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. and you know, the voice of that. What are the Daleks? And then you say, Well, they're these kind of robot things. That what do they look like? Well, sort of like a dustbin, right? Yeah. And and I do the voice, and it's so unimpressive. <laughs> <laughs> and they nod and go, Right. So that. That's the sum total of your life's achievement, is it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> On to the next person <laughs> who's hopefully more interesting than you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I think a Dalek fryer gets you gets you a long way in the <laughs> I think it's good. So, you know, May twenty sixteen. What's what does the future hold for you in the immediate future? Well, I'm getting on a plane back to England. Um and then this week I'm directing uh, a third doctor story with our chap Tim Trelaw, who does our third Doctor voice um, with Katie Manning and Bernard Holly, who, whose name you may recognise is in it. Um, I've got the music for Countermeasures to finish. Countermeasures is the characters from uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, okay, the, yep. the, the, yep. That team, is, we've done several series with them. It's great fun doing that. I'm writing this, finishing off writing the second series of Charlotte Pollard. We've got our 
you know, companion Charlotte mm-hmm. Pollard, who was with the Eighth Doctor and the Sixth Doctor in her own series. Well overdue for recording. Must get on with that. Uh, and also writing the second series of our audio reimagining of The Prisoner. Oh, wow. Those are the things that come to mind at the moment. All my Jekyll and Hyde is still on tour nationally. I'll be popping in to see them in Basingstoke in a couple of weeks' time just to be nice to them and give them some notes and tell them to remember their lines, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that... I feel like I've forgotten something major, but um, that that's what I'll be doing immediately. I think you're busy enough. I think <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, and the new website we're working on and la, 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 all that. <laughs> and, you know, if people want to check you out, where do they go? At bigfinish.com. You can also look at my website, nicholasbriggs.com. But, yeah, bigfinish.com for uh, fantastic stuff. And if you haven't got into Big Finish at all, and it's not just Doctor Who. There's loads of stuff. There's, there are also, you can look for bargains on there. Just type that into the search engine and there's all sorts of discounted or free stuff. And there's, and there's a whole archive of podcasts, some of which are, are me and various other mad people talking about Big Finish, giving you information about it. But some of the podcasts are free episodes of things. We've got a free episode of our brand new adaptation of Dracula that's oh, just come wow. out starring Mark Gatiss as Dracula oh, that dream one. role for him you know yeah. Uh, and so yeah you know go to bigfinish.com all sorts of glorious stuff glorious stuff indeed and I've included quite a lot of links below the SoundCloud uh, profile of this podcast related to Nick there's actually a really good podcast that he did with Colin Baker who is somewhat of a mental term I think and there's also a few others as well like obviously links to Big Finish Productions you know do check those out because they're doing some really good stuff there's also the link to uh, the Mark Gatiss Dracula as well I've included the SoundCloud profile to a trailer and it sounds really really good in fact after listening to that trailer I should have asked Nick the question of you know just how much goes into one of their productions so naughty me anyway the other ones include a breakdown of the Daleks including one that has a sample ring modulator if you're wondering what that was and that's pretty cool as well there's also a link to the other executive producer at big finish productions which is jason haig ellery so and i got that one right as well so very good for a boy from the west country pronouncing his h is correct anyway from there there's also the timegate address as well as the night of the doctor link as well so if you want to check out some paul mcgann with some on-screen time then the night of the doctor is there as well now overall i think talking to nick was really really interesting for a number of reasons i think he's somebody that clearly followed his passions and is now doing something that he loves and i find that very very cool i also found it very interesting the conversation i was having with him kind of about content and how listening to stuff and things like that we don't really appreciate how much goes into things like licensing and the repackaging of stuff as well you know obviously things like old legacy doctors new legacy doctors and things like that just what a wonderful term i just i really i really enjoyed getting some of those insights about the licensing world anyway that's enough from me for now it was wonderful talking to nick really appreciated my time at Timegate as well. Uh, if you get the opportunity, then do go to it. It's, it's called Hulanta now, and it will be the May of pretty much every year. Obviously, I'm talking to you in 2016, so in 2017, look around May 5th, and it should be there. So look up Timegate on online, and you should be able to find that. Anyway, as always, love doing this for you. You know, check me out on the Facebooks, the Twitters of this world. Obviously, the SoundCloud is where the podcast is hosted, but you know, it's uh, it's also on the website as well, remotely-interested.com. So. Check it out, check everything out, like, subscribe, review, show the love, and yeah, until next time, see you soon. Hello there, my name's Adam Spring, 
And I'm here to talk to you about a number of ways in which you can stay connected with and contribute to the Remotely Interested podcast. As I've said before, it's listener supported and I love to include you guys as, as much as I can. Anyway, the big two are iTunes and SoundCloud, which you can subscribe to. Also for SoundCloud, you can follow, you can like, you can share, you can do a number of things with the content that I put up there. There's also Google Play where you can check this podcast out and there's also a Facebook page that you can like. Now, in terms of connecting with me directly, there's a Twitter handle, which is at that interested. You can also follow and reach out to me there. And there's also the remotely interested email as well, which is contact at remotely-interested.com. Anyway, I love doing this for you. I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening to the show.